Today's reading is from Luke 8, 24, chapter 40. No, verse 40, sorry. The, in the church Bible, it's 980. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jarius, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl about 12, was dying. As Jesus was in his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who has been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that the power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told him why she had touched him and now, and how she has been healed instantly. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus, said, while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jarius, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jarius, don't be afraid, just believe and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jarius, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, James and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead, but he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Shall we pray together as we begin? Father, thank you so much for this uh, beautiful passage, this wonderful story. And we thank you for how marvelous Jesus is that he does things like that. And we pray as we look at your word tonight, pray it will be fresh for us, pray that we would kind of live into the story and the story would live into us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for having me. It's, uh, it's a real privilege for me to be up here in the wilds of North London. Uh, it's uh, lovely of Henry to, to ask me. Thank you. It's, uh, I, you are famous. You are famous in London for, for what you do, what you've done over so, so many years. Uh, God bless you for your faith and your adventurousness and for leaning into the spirit and being so fabulous about community and, uh, and daring to love people as, as they are. Um, so God bless you, and this sounds like Grace Brothers, doesn't it? Well, keep up the good work and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you do have the most lovely vicar. Um, I, I know that you know that. He is, yay! Can we have a round of applause for Henry? That's so great. 
Uh, Henry is, is such a kind man, and he's a friend. There were, there were a few, few years ago, and um, I was really struggling. I was all over the place, all, all out of sorts, and I uh, didn't really know which way was up. And we went on a clergy conference, and uh, I'm afraid my heart rather falls at the thought of a clergy conference. I'm sure it's my weakness. Um, but Henry was so lovely, and just kind of scooped me up under, under his wing, and uh, with, uh, with an aid of a, a nightly glass of red wine, the world was put to rights. <laughs> Um, so, Henry, thank you. I, I've never forgotten that. I'm, I'm deeply grateful. Thank you. Um, shall we think a little bit about healing tonight? Are you, are you happy to do that? Yeah. And, uh, and to do that, I thought we would just very simply just walk our way through this uh, extraordinary story. And it is an extraordinary story. I think sometimes if we've read the Bible before, we're not as surprised as perhaps we would be if we'd never heard this before. And I wonder if we could just sort of recapture a sense of that was absolutely remarkable, what, what happened then. Uh, a little story against myself at the beginning, though, because I don't want you to think that I'm an expert healer in, in this or, or at all. But um, it's slightly embarrassing. I, I did some um, part-time hospital chaplaincy at the Royal Brompton Hospital. It was a great privilege. It's an extraordinary hospital. And, uh, and part of that role was to, to go around the wards and to, to say hello to people, to chat to anyone and, you know, pray with anyone who would, who would like, like that. So I got all tog- togged up. I put on my, my dog collar, which I must confess I don't do very often, but I did, I did for that. And around the wards I go, and uh, it's great privilege, most extraordinary conversations you have with people at really intense time of their lives. Uh, and there was one gentleman who was reading a, a broadsheet paper. This was in the days when, when those were big, big papers. And he saw me coming, and I saw him put his newspaper up like this. And, uh, and I must confess, again, my weakness, I, I rather saw red. So in that marvellously passive-aggressive way that uh, clergy are trained to do at Theological College, I went up to him, and uh, here was his newspaper, and I just went, pulled it down like that, said, Hello. Like this, which was probably the most deeply unpastoral thing I, I could have done. And, uh, and he said, I don't want to speak to you. I don't believe a thing. I am an atheist. It's all rubbish. And we got into, I'm afraid, quite a heated discussion in the middle of this hot world. And you need to know, if you don't already, that the Brompton is a heart hospital. And the more intensely we were going, the more this guy was getting redder and redder in the face. And I could see his neck pulsing. And I thought, oh, my goodness. I'm going to kill this guy. Can you imagine, you know, chaplain kills patients in heart hospital, makes him have a heart attack. So I thought, oh, my goodness, okay, okay, I'm, I'm sorry. Let, let's just calm down. And then very cheekily as I was going away, I said, um, can I just say a little prayer for you? Oh, yes, he said, please do. That would be lovely. <laughs> and I thought, I just don't understand that. Here's a man I've just nearly killed by having an argument about being an atheist, and he's very happy to be prayed for. Um, so that's how chronic I am at, uh, at healing. In some ways, though, it's rather like this story, isn't it? Because the, the first man we meet is, um, there we go. No, wrong one, wrong one. Here we go, Jairus. And uh, Jairus is a, is a synagogue ruler. And that means he's a man of power. He's a man of influence. He's probably wealthy. He's highly regarded in the, in the community. But he may be a man of power, but he's also desperate. And uh, powerful people realize that power only takes us so far when we're desperate. 
And uh, so here he is, and he falls at the feet of Jesus. Now imagine just what a big thing that would be for anyone to do. But for him, you know, a pillar of the community, and he falls at the feet of Jesus. And he says, I've got this 12-year-old daughter, my only daughter, and she is dying. Uh, I used to, when I was uh, in, in Hoban, I used to walk to work every day past Great Ormond Street Hospital for sick children. And nearly always there were parents outside, you know, smoking frantically, or there would be children in wheelchairs. And, you know, the sense of desperation, that that was gyrus, wasn't he? What a, a desperate, desperate place to be. And Jesus says, let's, let's go. Um, it's oddly sort of formal, isn't it? Later on in the service, in the... Um, in the story, we find uh, his, uh, his followers come up to, to Jesus and, and Jairus. And they say, um, uh, and the text describes him as Jairus, the synagogue ruler. At the beginning of the story, that's only the only way he's described. He, he's a very, I imagine he's a very formal man. This is his role. This is who he is. He is the synagogue ruler. He's not Jairus. He is the synagogue ruler. And his people come up to him and they said, don't bother the teacher. Not Jesus, but the teacher. So it seems that they, they, they thought in the same way. It's all very formal. It's all about roles. It's about efficiency. And then this awful moment. Don't bother the teacher anymore because your daughter is dead. And, and Jesus is not efficient, hierarchical. He doesn't see the role. He sees the person. And he says straight away, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. That was what was going on under the surface, wasn't it? That was this poor man's colossal fear, his horror, his, his terror. And they walk, they walk to Jairus' house. I wonder what they talked about on that walk. My guess is nothing. It was just silent. They just walked. Jairus just in total turmoil. Jesus Calm. I wonder what the crowds were doing all around. They walked, they walked with them. They arrive at, at the house and there is wailing and mourning. Uh, in those days, you had professional mourners, particularly those who were, who were moneyed, and they're burning their money. They're wailing and they're mourning. And Jesus says, stop wailing. She isn't dead, but asleep. And then he takes in Peter and John and James and the child's father and mother. It's interesting, isn't it? It's no, no longer the synagogue ruler. He is now the father of this child. Jesus has changed him from being a role into a person, a person who has relationship. And he has a mother. This is the first time we meet the mother. Presumably the mother was staying behind. And together, Jesus takes them with Peter, James, and John, and, and in they go. But they laugh at him. They laugh at Jesus, knowing that she was dead. Now, we don't know who them are. It's certainly the crowds. Perhaps it was Jairus and Mrs. Jairus as well, because they know that she wasn't asleep, she was dead. I find that so interesting, just, just pausing. We're, we're so used, aren't we, certainly in our society, we think of death as, as something that's ultimate, it's, um, it's a category. But for Jesus, there is something about death being like, like sleep. And actually, the rest of the New Testament talks about death like sleep. And Jesus says, wake up. Isn't that beautiful? Little dead girl, he said, 
wake up. As if she was just asleep in her room. And we read that her spirit returned. That's interesting as well, isn't it? Something happens at death. The spirit leaves the body. We don't know where the spirit goes, at least in this story. But Jesus says, wake up, and the spirit returns. And we read, at once, she stood up. I told you at the beginning, we have two teenage daughters. And getting teenage daughters out of bed at any time is a miracle in itself. Uh, But this is a special miracle, isn't it? At once, she got up. And this beautiful little touch, Jesus says, give her something to eat. She's just been to death and back. She'll be hungry. It's a lovely thought. And verse 56, we read, her parents were astonished. Interesting word, astonished. Do you think that's how they would have felt? I think they would have been just overwhelmed and just moved and just, the, I'm sure the tears were pouring out, but, but no, they were astonished. Uh, there's an incredible journey that they've been on. They've gone from desperation, falling at the feet of Jesus, to fear your daughter is dead. Don't be afraid, says Jesus straight away. To mockery, she's not asleep, she's dead. And now to astonishment. I think there's a journey of faith there. He, Jairus, is, Jairus did, did have faith, didn't he? He knew to come to Jesus. And he knew that even though the daughter was dying, there was something that Jesus could do. And so he had faith, but he didn't see this. He didn't see this coming. He was astonished, astonished by it. Uh, I think that says to me something, uh, something about our own journey of faith. I look at you and um, uh, you all look so holy. <laughs> but perhaps it's the low lights. <laughs> but you do. Um, but I think there's something in our faith that it's just more than we could ever imagine. It's just better. We've got an idea of what it might be, and it's actually more than that. It's an extraordinary thing. I'm afraid, forgive me, the only example I could come up with is, uh, was Ben Stokes and the, and the cricket this summer. And any cricket fans in the, in the room? Yeah, there are some, there are some. If you're not, please forgive me, but you'll know that um, the, the situation was England were playing Australia, was, was that right? In the ashes. And you know that England and Australia, that is the one. And Australia were doing disgracefully well. And uh, it all looked all up for, for England. And um, England were doing, doing badly. And wicket after wicket after wicket was, was falling. And uh, there was one batsman left, ben, ben Stokes. And loads and loads of runs to get. It, it really was impossible. And he had a very difficult thing to, to weigh up. He had to, to stay there and not take any risks. Um, because the people with him at the other end, the other batsmen, weren't specialist batsmen. But the, if the longer they could stay there, the more runs they would get. But they kept losing more and more wickets. So in the end, it was just one or two to go. And Stokes just thought, I've got to go for it. And so he was hitting sixes and fours, and uh, it was so exciting. They say, actually, it is probably the greatest innings by an English batsman ever. It was, uh, if, I, I have a friend, and he was driving back from holiday in France. And uh, when, he, when he left France, he, he'd, um, he put the, the radio on, and he heard that England weren't doing too well, so he turned it off. And they drove through France in sepulchral silence. And then on the, on the ferry, he realized that Stokes is still there, and it's, um, 
there's hope. And so throughout the ferry journey, listening, listening hard, and then all the way, the, the kids weren't allowed to whisper and yeah, be quiet, be quiet. And they got to his home in, in Ealing and he drew, drew the car up outside their house and, um, and his wife and their children went into the house and he stayed in the car listening to this radio. And then the, the great thing happened that Stokes had hit the final winning runs. Yes! And he hit the horn and, you know, it was just terribly exciting. If you're not a cricket fan, forgive me. I really enjoyed that, just reliving that moment. Um, But it looked impossible. It really looked impossible. We couldn't imagine that it could be done. We, We couldn't see what it would look like for England to win from that kind of dreadful situation. And I think sometimes in faith, there is a faith journey where we think, I have a sense, I have a sense that with Jesus it's possible. But we don't know what it looks like. And actually somehow, somehow it comes through more amazing, more overwhelming, more astonishing than we could ever have have thought. Amen. Wow, the front row is just pulping. That's great. Okay, next next one. Um, Now, forgive me, I've... um, we don't know who the lady is. We don't know her name. I think that's interesting in itself, isn't it? She's the opposite of Jairus. Jairus is rich, powerful, acknowledged in the community. This lady doesn't even have a name. We don't know who she is. Uh, we don't read of any family, any home, any connection. It's just, just her. And she's got this, what the old versions used to call an issue of blood. She's got a hemorrhage all the time. Imagine the, the misery of that. Uh, and it wasn't just the misery, it wasn't just the discomfort, it was the kind of the social exclusion that went with it. Um, she would have been thought of as, it's horrible to say, but she would have been thought of as unclean. No one would have been allowed near her. She couldn't go to worship, she couldn't go to temple, because uh, she would not be allowed in. It's just that the levels of misery of, of that. She had 12 years. I, I just wonder if Luke is saying... You know, the daughter, Jairus' daughter, how old was she? Twelve. How long has this woman had an issue of blood? Twelve years. So when that girl was born, that was when this poor woman's misery began. We don't read that she has a name, but I thought we could give her a name. Shall we give her a name? And because I'm a preacher, it has to begin with the same letter. So it has to be J. And the one that, so we've had Jairus, and I thought Jemima. Does Jemima sound a good name? I actually thought of Janina. Is there someone called Janina here? I don't know why I would think that. Does anyone know a Janina? No. Janine. Yeah, I just don't know if there's something prophetic in in that. Have have a think. Anyway, so so here she is, and she comes up um, behind Jesus. And she too, like Jairus, she's she's desperate. Um, We actually read that no one could heal her. It's not in all the manuscripts. Some of the manuscripts say that she'd actually spent all her money on going to the doctors, and the doctors couldn't help her. And she comes up behind Jesus. This is another faith journey. I think Jairus is kind of used to getting things done, but he's desperate. This woman is not used to anything working for her. Nothing works in her life. Your heart goes out to her, doesn't it? Nothing works. So she doesn't come up to the front of Jesus. She doesn't have her people arrange things. She, she's so lovely. She comes up behind him. She doesn't want to trouble the great man. 
and she just reaches out and she, did you notice this? She just touches the very edge of his robe. So she doesn't grab it. She doesn't grab the middle of it. This is the most minimal touch there could be. It's like, I've got faith, but that's the tiniest, tiniest faith. Because I've been so disappointed in life. I've been so disappointed by the doctors. Nothing is going to work. No one can heal me, but there might be something in this preacher. So she touches just the very, very edge of his garment. And then we read, immediately she was healed. So Jairus' daughter at once gets up from the dead. This woman, Jemima, immediately she's healed. There's no ifs and buts with Jesus himself. Who touched me? Forgive the overacting there, but I think that's so interesting. This is the fir- these are the first words we read that Jesus says in this passage. And what does Jesus, what would we expect Jesus to say? You know, God bless you, daughter, and, or something, something nice, something nice and encouraging and something loving. And he actually goes, bang, who touched me? It's quite abrupt. Why does he do that? I've no idea. But it's there, and, and it terrified her. Um, every, everyone around Jesus is, is saying, um, uh, don't be silly, look, at, look around you, look at the crowds. There are thousands of people, thousands of people, and, and you're saying, who touched you? They're jostling you all the time. Uh, Jesus, get, get real. Uh, but she knows what he's really saying, and she knows that she can't hide. And she falls at his feet, trembling. Jairus fell at her feet before, I guess he was terrified then, before the healing, and this woman is terrified and falls at his feet after the healing. Again, I I wonder why. Why is she so scared? I wonder if it's to do with the shame. If you've lived with shame for 12 years, the last thing you want is for people to look at you And you can imagine thousands of people are going, you know, something happens and all the heads go, and they're all looking at her. And it must have been terrifying for her. But how beautiful again. Who is the one who is really looking at her? It's Jesus. And I hope you know, and I hope that by my best moments I know, that Jesus looks at people in a different way from anyone else. There is love in the look of Jesus in a way that there isn't in anyone else's. So her faith journey in terms of healing, it's kind of the reverse in some ways of Jairus. Jairus comes knowing something but doesn't really imagine it. I wonder if she goes and she knows, even though she's got tiny faith, you know you don't have to have great faith for Jesus to do things. You just have just a little, a little sense of, I think he can do it. I don't know how, but there's something, there's something here. And her journey is that I think she does see it. Somehow she does see it. And that's her faith journey. She can imagine what is to happen. And Jesus says these beautiful words to her daughter. He's done the same thing he did with Jairus. Isn't the Bible amazing? The more you look at it, the more fantastic things there are. There are to see. Do you remember Jairus starts off as the synagogue ruler? And his people say, don't trouble the teacher. It's all about roles and titles. And then he becomes, you are the father of this little girl. 
It's the same with Jemima. Daughter, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in, go in peace. What a beautiful thing. Go in peace. So Jairus and Mrs. Jairus, they leave with wonder. And Jemima leaves with peace. I remember once being, being called out by a, a family from Hong Kong. And they didn't have much English. And uh, their son, I think he was about 18 or 19, he was in hospital, Charing Cross Hospital. And, uh, and the doctors had said he, he, was, he was dying. And these, the family, they were full of faith. They were extraordinary people. It's amazing sometimes that you don't need language to be able to communicate. Something about the spirit calls to the spirit. You know, we, we understood each other. And they were saying, we're not giving up. We don't believe it. We're not letting him go. We believe that God can raise him effectively from the dead. <laughs> Phone call. John, would you come and pray for him? Certain amount of pressure there, I have to say. Uh, and I turned up, and uh, a friend of mine actually was one of the chaplains there, and he said, John, we, we, you've got to dial them down because he's going to die. And, uh, and then we got a real pastoral mess because they, they believed that you know, a miracle would happen, and it's not going to happen, and they're going to be devastated. Then, we got, then they got their grief, and then they got their doubt. And you know, so, so find a way of telling them it's not going to happen, and they've got to reconcile themselves to the fact he is, he is dying. He's going to, would, would you do that? And it, it was a slightly awkward moment because I know this man. I love, love him. And... Something rose up within me. I said, no, we're, we're going to pray. The family wants us to pray. And we're going to pray that God will raise him up. And we, we did. Boy, did they pray. <laughs> it was their faith and it was their fervor. And it, it was just the most extraordinary thing. And I, I prayed a very sort of Anglican kind of, oh, Lord, bless him and raise him from the very edge of the grave <laughs> it was pathetic really looking back um, but again isn't that wonderful you know a pathetic prayer and God raised that young man right from the edge of the grave and his life his life is, uh, and you know to him be glory that's not me saying what a, what a great thing but I am saying that family were like Jemima get him to Jesus get him to Jesus just touch the tiniest, tiniest bit, just touch the very edge of his garment and we'll see, we'll see what happens. Um, okay, it's all pretty intense stuff, isn't it? I mean, here we are, life and death and sickness, and, but healing, healing and life. So now we're going to have a little bit of uh, intermission. Oh, no, am I going the wrong way? <laughs> I'm so bad at this one. There we go. There we are, it's completely blown. Um, shall we have a little intermission? So we're going to have, uh, you know, uh, ice creams, that metaphorical ice creams and soda and popcorn. And I'd love you, would you like just to turn to your neighbour or twos or threes? Um, who do you associate with in this story? Is it, is it Jairus or is it Jemima? Which one do you think? Oh, that's one. And, and why? And then I'd love you to do another little thing as well. Imagine that... Um, that you are that person and you're writing your autobiography, I don't know, 20 years after this has all, all happened. Um, and you're probably actually very famous in the churches. You know, I imagine wherever Jairus went, they would go, oh, you're Jairus, I've heard the story. Or you're Jemima, or I didn't know your name was Jemima, whatever it is. 
Um, now, you're writing your autobiography, because people are going to ask you about this all the time. What was it like when Jesus raised your daughter from the dead? What was it like when, you, when the crowd looked at you and you, you realized at once that the blood had stopped flowing? Um, what was it like? So in your autobiography, come up with the one thing you say to everyone when they ask you to tell your story. What's the heart of it? Why did, how did your life change? What was the thing that was absolutely at the heart of it? Do you want to have a bit of fun? Just, just talk to your neighbours just for just two or three minutes and then we'll have a bit of feedback and see uh, if, we, if we agree with each other. Very good. Uh, w- welcome back after the intermission. Uh, I say to Henry, I really wish I hadn't mentioned, you know, popcorn and... Because I've just got this craving now for, you know, popcorn or Coke or something nice. I'm sorry if that was the, the case for you as well. Uh, do you mind just sort of uh, feeding back? This will be really interesting. Did, did anyone um, associate with Jairus? Any gyruses? Yes. Why, do you mind telling me why? What, what was it about that story? Yes. So you too are a synagogue ruler. In a <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And any, any other gyrosites? Sounds like an insect. Yeah, why, why did you associate with Jairus, do you think? Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you very much. That's really, that's so interesting that he would have loved everything just so. The order, and that comes back to the titles again, doesn't it? But Jesus, disruptive. I I like that very much. Um, Okay, let's go to, well, it's just that actually, well, I was talking to Henry and uh, it really brought back to me, I think I associate with Jairus as well, partly because I too am a synagogue ruler. Um, But, um, but also, I remember once my, my daughter went missing, and I don't know if you've ever had this uh, experience. You're outside, uh, it was Hyde Park, and there was a, a 10K race going on. It's a beautiful summer's day. She was about 9 or 10, and, um, and she was there, and I turned away, and she wasn't there. And just that feeling, I can feel it now, you know, about 10 minutes, so I didn't know where she was. And it, it's just terrifying that she could be here, and then... I didn't know where she was, and thousands of people. I didn't know where to look, look where to go, and mercifully, uh, someone had seen that she was lost and took her to a, a police officer. God bless him, so it was all right. But just that sense of losing, losing a daughter, awful. What about Jemima? Any, any Jemimas in, in the house? Anyone associate with Jemima? You do, sir. Marvellous. Okay. <laughs> You're on tape now. You know, it's all there. Anyone else? Anyone else? Uh, last bid. Anyone else want to speak up for Jemima? Okay, let's uh, let's finish then. If, and I thought if uh, if you're up for it, shall shall we do some praying? Um, and I thought what might be rather nice is uh, we'll we'll pray in two ways. One one is um, those who feel that they have got a gift of healing from the Holy Spirit or would like a gift of praying for people who are sick to get well. And we'll pray for you, 
And then we'll also pray if there are people who, who are happy to be prayed for. Uh, and then we'll ask the people who we prayed for to have the gift of healing to pray for the people who would like prayer. Does that sound a good, good plan? Yeah. Is, that, is that all right, guys? I should have run that past you before. I'm, I'm so sorry. Yeah, this is disastrous. No popcorn, and he hasn't run past the... <laughs> who is at the center of all this? Jesus. It sounds so stupid, doesn't it? Now, who is the hero of the story? Duh, Jesus. But actually, this is a story which, it's about healing. It is about healing. But it's as much about who does the healing as it is about the healing. It's about Jesus, the healer, as well as what healing is. Uh, guys, can you be clever and do what I can't do? Can we go on to the next, the next slide? Thank you. Um, there are three different words used for healing in this short passage. I, I don't have Greek, but I have access to books which, which tell me what it, what it says. Um, so verse 43, um, do you remember that uh, when Jemima comes in, onto the scene, we read that no one could heal her. Now, that, that word is the word, uh, the Greek word from which we get our English word therapy or therapeutic. No one, no one, no one could do therapy on her and it would work. Now, it's, it's a word which um, is used throughout the Gospels and it's used throughout the Acts of the Apostles. It's, um, it's more, more than this, but I wonder if there's a little bit of a flavor that um, this is what doctors do and do well. They do therapeutic practice. and and we thank God for our doctors, do we not? We thank God for the NHS. We thank God for everyone who's involved in, in, in medicine. Then there's another word, uh, verse 47. Jemima said um, uh, she told everyone how she had been instantly healed. It's another word, uh, and this means to, uh, to be healed or cured. It's word uh, which is used of Jesus heals the brokenhearted. Interestingly, yeah, do you remember what, um, when Jesus is arrested, the high priest's servant has his ear cut off and Jesus heals the ear. It's that, it's that word. As a lame man who is healed in the Acts of the Apostles, it's that, that word. Um, Luke seems to like it a lot. So perhaps, again, it's a doctor's word. This is what doctors do. They heal uh, not just the body, but, but also the, the heart. And so there's a sense of psychiatry, psychology involved in that as well. Then there's a third word, um, and this is the word which Jesus uses, and he uses it twice. Verse 48, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Verse 50, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. Uh, you might have heard it. it's the word sozo. Uh, so there's sozo ministry now, isn't there? And sozo is a, is a broader word than these other healing words. It's, uh, it, it can mean, confusingly for the translators, it can mean to save or to heal. So it, it's interesting, at the end of chapter 7, uh, the last verse of chapter, chapter 7, th this is um, the so-called sinful woman who comes to Jesus, and um, Jesus, uh, she anoints Jesus, and he says, uh, you are forgiven. And um, and she says that those who, who are forgiven much love much. Do you remember this lovely, lovely exchange? And at the end, Jesus says to that lady, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's actually exactly the same words he uses to Jemima. Your faith has healed you. Your faith has saved you. Same word. Go in peace. So-so, both, both times. 
So sozo means it's a healing of the body, but it's also a healing of the spirit. It's a healing of the emotions. It's a healing of the whole person. The, the authorized version says, um, you have been made whole. And I love that. You are broken up into different bits. Jesus has made you whole. And he heals relationships, relationship with people around us. So Jemima can now go to synagogue. Imagine her turning up. Sorry, Jemima, you can't come. Oh, yes, I can come in because Jesus has healed me. Now I can worship. So there's healing of relationship with the people around us. There's healing within ourselves. The shame is gone. And there's healing with the relationship with God. So when we think about healing, it's, um, it's a massively broad thing. Does it mean a kind of medical cure? It does. But it also means more than that. No one heals quite the way that Jesus heals. Doctors do brilliant work, and Jesus can do that and a bit more. But Jesus can also heal the spirit, the emotions, and the mind, and our relationships. He is remarkable. Jesus is remarkable. How can he do that? Let's finish with this. How can he do that? They're just hints. They're just hints in in this last slide, if I may. They're just hints. But I think we can begin to see that Jesus heals through the power of sacrificing his life for others. So verse 40, how, how this, this incident is introduced, we, re- we read that Jesus returned. Words like that are very significant in the Gospels. Geography is geography, but geography often represents something more. Jesus returns. He's coming back. He's been exorcising demons, so he's not been relaxing on the Costa del Sol. It's been pretty intense. But now he's coming back. And he's coming back into the crowds. He's coming back into being overwhelmed by the culture of death and despair and illness. And there's an emphasis on the crowds again and again in this. Verse 42, the crowds almost crushed him. They're they're pressing on him. There's so many. And they're they're bashing into him. And they're squashing him. They're going to trample him. They're everywhere. And they're pushing and pushing and pushing. Verse 45, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. Verse 52, the people were wailing and mourning. They laughed at him. So Jesus is in a culture where he's being pushed and pushed and pushed by human need. And it's a human need which is mocking him and reviling him and laughing at him. And then this extraordinary line, verse 46, I know that power has gone out from me. Healing takes power. It takes a spiritual power. And Jesus is full of that power. But it costs him. It goes out from him. And he knows that it's gone. There's just the beginnings, just the beginnings that Jesus gives himself. He gives his life. He gives his energy. He will give his life's blood. So already... In this beautiful instant, already we see that the cross is just over the horizon. This is how he's going to heal the world, is by giving himself for us. So this beautiful story, and it is a beautiful story, it moves me so much. Behind it is not just a healing, but a healer. At the root of it is Jesus who sacrifices himself for us, for you, for me, that we may be sozoed and healed 
and loved and restored. Amen. Thank you for listening so, so well. Would you like to stand and let's pray for one another. I pray? Is that all right? Yeah. I think I'm going to come over here because I think prayer works in the light. <laughs> boom, boom. Father, thank you for this, this special time together. I've loved it, which is clearly the whole point. <laughs> thank you for one another. We, we don't meet as synagogue rulers and teachers. We, we meet as brothers and sisters, people on the same plane, people who have needs and sometimes hurts. Lord, we we love you that you see the people that we are and you call us by name and you talk about us being in relationship. So in in your name, we, we pray now that we pray you'd send that same power amongst us that was released into Jemima's body. We pray you'd, we know what that is. We pray for the spirit We pray for the Holy Spirit to come. Come, Holy Spirit. Do you know how to do this? Let's just welcome him in our hearts. Welcome him. We love you, Lord. We love what you do. We love how you do it. We ask you to do it. Come and do what you want. More, Lord, more of you. for that lovely story, the gentleman with the intestines, and they were, they were healed. He just came and no razzmatazz, just asked Jesus to do it by the time he was married. And he did. I pray for that, Lord, that kind of beautiful thing. If you're happy, let, let's do this, this two, two-pronged thing that um, if, if you feel that you have a, a gift of healing or, or you would like that, why don't you just, in the silence of your heart, but in your own words, just say to the Lord, Lord, please, please give me that gift. Please give me that gift. Or please increase that gift. Such a privilege to pray for people in, in need and to see the Lord meet that need. Isn't that remarkable? Please give that gift, Lord. Now, now. And then the other side, we, we pray, Lord, for um, our sisters and brothers who, who need your healing, who are perhaps as desperate and distressed as Jairus or as Jemima. Lord, come to them now. Touch them, we pray. Release your healing of body, of mind, of spirit.